Now, I've got excited as I've prepared this talk, and I pray, Lord God, that that excitement will communicate. You know, as we often pray here, that, that in me being entertained, that I may entertain, that I may engage, but Father, most importantly, Lord God, that, that I may be effective. And the Father, this word of faith activating the blessing may you know, hit us right between the eyes. And Father, we may leave this place, as I often pray, not the same person we came in. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to jump straight in, but we uh, have been talking about the blessing for the last few weeks, uh, which has been pretty exciting, the blessing and the promise, uh, and so kind of what that looks like. And it all started when, um, in Genesis 12, when and God said to Abraham, uh, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, shortcuts, what I'm going to say today, basically, is that this is a fantastic blessing. But because of um, what I'll explain, this blessing actually applies to us today. And I'm going to show us how that applies to us and how we can walk in that. And Dennis did a fantastic job last week when he was unpacking what the blessing looks like in today's life. And he, he reeled off these things at the end. Um, prominence, adding value wherever you are into whatever you're doing. Fertility, multiplication, material prosperity, provision, peace and joy, power and protection, abundance, debt-free living, the call to lead where others follow, and that which brings all of the above, the presence of God. Now, you're probably sitting there, as like I was, going, I would love even just part of that. That would be fantastic. I'd love to live my life with various things like that going on. Well, the good news is that's how we were created. That's the whole life that God has set us up to live, and he longs for us to live, and that's why we desire it in the first place. Now, we are not made to settle. We're made to grow. I'm fairly sure I didn't see anyone crawl into the auditorium this morning or, or scoot in their bums, you know, on their bums like little babies. The whole thing is that you, you know, at some point in your life, you looked up and you, you saw an adult walk and you thought, I want to be better. I want to be able to do that. That's why we read uh, self-help books. That's why some of us have read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or as I've seen on a couple of your bookshelves, you know, Facing Your Fear. Well, one of my favorites when I was uh, looking through some self-help section once was, are men necessary? <laughs> it's a thrilling read. You know, these are the questions that burn in all of us, you know, on a daily basis. We were created to be successful. More so, we were created to help others succeed. We were created to be blessed and be a blessing. Okay. But some give up. For some, it's too hard. For some, it just gets overwhelming. You know, one of the things that's really caught me recently is this um, kind of quote that I've seen on tweets or Facebook posts, which, which goes something like this. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but hey, life didn't come with instructions. And I kind of think, it did. It really did. This book, this Bible, is full of instructions of how to draw close to God, how to avoid mistakes, how to get the best out of life. And the problem is, is that, you know, it's if, well, sorry, the good thing is, if we were to follow every single thing that's written, every single instruction, we would walk in this blessing. And it's as simple as that. God, it's like God gave us the cheat book. Now, a little confession, I play Xbox every now and then just to chill out, but I haven't got much time. So what I do is I sit there with a walkthrough, and I, I make sure I get it perfect every time. I want 100%. I don't care if I'm cheating. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> see, the problem is the... It's not the instruction manual doesn't exist. The problem is, is life can be difficult. Life can be tough. 
Now, I'm no DIY person, but I did recently put up some blinds, and I'm pretty darn proud of myself. Although in the process, I managed to break four screws, a drill bit, and one of Bella's toys. And I'm fairly sure they're going to fall down anytime soon. However, cars, you know, Chris is talking about this classic car show, as you know, we call them classic cars, Chris likes to call them cars. Um, I found that funny. Um, I, I am useless at cars. I just don't get them at all. Have you ever seen one of those Hayes manuals that gives you all the, the kind of instructions? It has different levels, you know, like level one, kind of, uh, you know, which one's the spanner kind of person, to level five, which is something like, you know, don't attempt this unless you're a qualified NASA engineer. You know, that kind of thing, that freaks me out. And no matter how hard I try to understand, let alone do it, I know I'm just going to break something. It's just inevitable. And so when I see this light come on my dashboard now, it tells me two things. First of all, that the light works, which is great news because I don't have to fix that. And secondly, that I need help. Now, sometimes we can look at our lives, and there's like a dashboard light flicking away. And we know that something's broken, whether it's how you relate to someone, how you're struggling in a situation, how you just don't feel the best version of yourself. And we need help effectively, but we kind of go through this process of going, it's okay, I can do a bit of DIY. I can try put this in place and do that. And we end up doing a bit of a bodged job, basically. And so try as we may to follow all of the instructions. We cannot do that overnight. And so does that mean we could never be fixed? Furthermore, you know, it's almost like we have one of those stickers. You may have seen this if you ever tried to take something apart that has a kind of warranty void if seal is broken. Have you ever seen those? And it's like each and every single one of us have come with that sticker. And the moment we try to do it ourselves, the moment we try to do our own job, we broke that sticker. In other words, we are basically saying to the manufacturer, God, we don't trust that you could do a good job. We don't trust that you're the best person to do this. I think I can do a better job myself. And so does this mean, having missed out on a lot of instructions, that we could never receive God's blessing? That we can never have a relationship with God, never experience healing, never experience life in abundance? Well, basically, yes. That's exactly what it means. We have voided our warranty. We're faulty. We're broken. And we're basically relying on a bit of gaffer tape here and a, you know, something wedged in there and something propping us up over there. And that's how we go through life. But the good news is it doesn't finish there. In uh, Romans 4, it says this. What then should we say about Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, in other words, by trying to fix it himself, he had something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, he had nothing. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, credited basically refers um, to given, but it's also a legal thing. You know, in our courts today, a judge, when he passes sentence, will say, I find you guilty. In the Roman courts, it was very similar, but they used the phrase, I credit to you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the moment that Abraham believed God, when he said, I will bless you, in other words, I will take it upon myself to fix you, God the judge looked at Abraham and passes the sentence. I find the defendant, Abraham, righteous. In other words, not guilty, innocent, without fault. You know, it wasn't that God examined Abraham's life and, you know, and this was his conclusion. Far from it. It's the complete opposite. He credited him with something that he truly didn't deserve. 
The best understanding I can think of this, working on the same analogy, is like God saw the broken warranty and just knew that he couldn't rightfully fix it because it's, it's void. And so what he does is he goes out of his way and he purchases the item. And he takes hold of it. And now it's in his hands, the manufacturer. He knows exactly what needs to fix. He knows exactly what he needs to do. And so Abraham remaining in that place meant that he would be completely fixed. More so, the manufacturer knew, knew exactly what he was made for. And so he was able to put him to the use that he was created for. This is an incredible gift. An undeserved, unmerited gift. Free. Which we call grace. You've probably heard it a number of times. All because Abraham trusted in God. That same invitation and promise is extended to us, as it says later on in Romans 4. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, innocent, not guilty, without fault, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Okay, I'm going to tell us exactly how that works, but let me just quickly recap Abraham's story. So, building at Genesis 12, Abraham is old. I mean, he starts the story at 75, works his way to about 100 or so. Um, this is an incredibly difficult, interesting place. And his wife, Sarah, is old as well. And, uh, and they have no children. This is not a, a choice that they've made. This is because Sarah is barren. She is unable to conceive. And for this, at this time, this was an incredibly shameful thing. And they carried a huge amount of shame because of it. And more so, you know, they, this basically meant that they had no future, no one to pass on their legacy or name to. And it was in that reality that God spoke this incredible promise that I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. At the sound of this promise, Abraham took that and just said, I, I want that. I trust in that. God, I will follow you. Picked up his family, picked up any risk that he had and courage that he had and followed God. Years later, I'm talking like five or ten years later, this promise still hadn't been fulfilled. And so Abraham wondered how he was ever going to be a father to a great nation if he couldn't even father a single child. And that's when he turns to God and says, God, what are you going to do about it? And that's when God reveals the plan. He says that, Abraham, you will have your very own son. In fact, as Abraham looks up and God gets him to count the stars, he says, that's how many your offspring will be. Now, it's at this point in the story that Abraham then turns, so then it says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteous. Okay, so how does this work for us? This is the key. Abraham chose to believe in a creative God, okay, the God of creation, the God who brought something and everything out of absolutely nothing, the God who could bring life out of death. You see, Sarah's womb was closed. It was dead. Abraham was getting old. By any feasible hope, they had no future. There was nothing that they could do about it. And this was where the shame was. This is where the reality was. And yet Abraham chose to believe that God could still do something. You see, the difference is, is that um, the difference between us and Abraham is that Abraham and the Jews trusted that God could still bring life. And they believed in what God would one day do. So where there was death, God would one day bring life. Where there was shame, God would one day erase it. 
Where they had failed, God would one day bring success. Whereas Abraham believed in what God would one day do, we believe in what Christ has done. So we believe that uh, through the death of Christ and the resurrection, that where there was death, God brought life. Where there was shame, God has erased it once and for all. Where there was failure, where we had failed, God succeeded. Abraham believed that God would bring life out of a womb. We believe that God did bring life out of a tomb. Abraham believed that God would one day do. We believe that God has already done. That sounded a lot more rappy in my mind, I tell you. It was fantastic. In the same creative, life-given, resurrection faith that Abraham had, we trust in today. You know, this is the exciting thing. You know, we're... When just like Abraham placed his faith in Christ, uh, sorry, placed his faith in what would happen, and we placed our faith in, faith in Christ, the moment we do that, the moment we trust in that, the same verdict is pronounced. Not guilty, innocent, without fault, undeservedly credited with righteousness. You know, this is great news. And in Romans 5, it talks about we can rejoice in the hope that we have. You know, when we rejoice in hope, we are confident that something's going to happen. You know, like many students, um, one of our students here, Naomi, who is in the sec- comes to the second service, you know, she was happy when she finished her exams. It was nice, they could draw a line under it and done. But she wasn't 100% sure of one of the exams. She thought she might have failed it. And then last week, she got a result, and she was told that she got a first-class degree. And she went from, okay, I'm mildly happy and content with this, to rejoicing because she was confident and sure that that was the result that she had. We shouldn't just be happy in our Christian walk if you're a Christian. We should rejoice, because we know the verdict. We are completely forgiven. It's almost like that picture of, um, you know, the, uh, you know, you see it so many times in the Bible, the waves just crashing against something, and God's speaking calm. And there is peace, and there is calm. We have this incredible thing to rejoice, this incredible thing to celebrate. You know, this is the mark of a true Christian. I heard in a talk once that um, early Christians, they laughed in almost every circumstance. That people just thought they were crazy. I want that. I would love to have that in every single situation. But I think sometimes I'm just like a little spoiled brat and I want everything to go my way. But God gave us a reason to rejoice, to celebrate. More than just the future, if we stay with God trusting in his promise, we will receive the blessing today. Chris spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. It's fantastic. Check out the podcast on the app or whatever. The the, the blessing is the presence of God, provision, power, protection, peace, and so much more. Okay, consider this. If God erased all of our faults and called us while we were still far from him, how much more will he do now we belong to him? Read this. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, this is really important. Now, this is slightly building on this, but when I came to the realization that this was true, I felt like I needed to share this, because I think some of you need to hear this today. Maybe you don't feel blessed. Maybe you kind of, you have come to the conclusion that, you know, God kind of missed you in the blessing. 
Or maybe, you know, even worse, that he chose not to bless you. Maybe you believe, or maybe one day you were told, or it was implied, that when you mess up, you're not worthy to be blessed. When you walk in disobedience or unbelief, you're not good enough. And this leads us to this carrying this huge amount of shame and wrestling with these questions and trying to repent and asking these questions, what have I done wrong? Why is God punishing me? Now, this is the important thing, and you need to hear this. It is impossible for God to punish you. It is impossible for God to punish you. Consider the lengths that God went to to save you and to reach you. We trust in the cross where God himself was nailed and, and injured and beaten and crucified because of his love for you while he was still so far away. This is the greatest demonstration of love you can imagine. There is no doubt that God is for you, not angry with you. Consider how he behaves towards us and try and conceive how we would treat his children. You know, uh, I have a one-year-old daughter, Bella, and even in my most tiredest times, I couldn't be horrible to her. I might get a bit annoyed at times, but I don't get horrible to her. Um, as far as I see, you know, she's still growing, she's still learning. So usually she wakes up and she does this cutest thing, she kind of crawls over the bed and, and looks at me, and when I open my eyes, she goes, hi. <laughs> but one day when she was learning these new words, she crawled over the bed and looked at me, I opened my eyes, and she went, Minga. Which wasn't nice, I've got to be honest. It wasn't the greatest way to wake up. It didn't set me up for a great day. But I can't be angry with her. I can't be horrible to her. So why would God, having gone through so, many, so much length and so much process to win us back, turn his, almost be double-minded and be horrible to us and, be, and punish us? Consider that while we were at our worst, he gave us his best. How much more then Will he be now he sees us as redeemed, adopted, cleansed, transformed, and righteous? God will save us from any further punishment. Imagine a lifesaver. You know, this is a great picture. That, you know, they, um, they save someone from drowning. They crawl out into the water, shark-confessed waters, if you will, and, and drag them to shore and resuscitate them and then beat them to death. It doesn't make any sense. You know, as Dennis said last week, and again, listen to that podcast, the blessing does not guarantee that there will be no challenges, but we can be confident that God is not the cause of our suffering. So when you do suffer, when things are difficult, when things feel like they're out of control, as T.D. Jakes, quoting Dennis again, when they, what they, the enemy and other people intended to harm you, uh, deter you and defeat you, God will use to build you, heal you, and secure your success. Okay, so when you put your faith in what God has done, you are reconciled with God. But more so, he longs to bless you, to redeem you, to set you up to do what you were called to do. To receive those blessings, you need to trust in that same trust that you put in God to be saved. In other words, and this is the point, faith activates the blessing. Faith activates the blessing. Now, if saving faith activates salvation that live in faith activates life's blessings. In other words, you have passed your driving test, but you need to get in the car to start driving. You have passed your exam, but you need to apply to jobs before you get the job. You have money in the bank, hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
to me anyway. That means that you have to take that risk, queue up at the checkout with a whole bunch of items, put your card on the machine, and hope that that will be okay. It's a live in faith, a walk in faith. You know, maybe you're one of those people that just needs to understand a little bit more before you can walk in that. And I heard this fantastic thing. You know, questions are great, and I really encourage them. But there's this is a great quote that I heard from someone. I don't understand so I can believe. I believe so I can understand. You are never fully going to get it on that side of the fence where you're wondering if God's going to do something. You're only going to get it on the other side as you start to see him work. Okay, let's get our hands daily and just jump in in the little time that I have of how this fact can become a feeling, okay? Um, Romans 4 again. In, the hope, in hope, he believed against hope. I love that phrase. It basically means against all possible earthly human hope, God, um, Abraham believed that God was going to. That he should become a father of many nations. As has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, um, since he was about 100 years old at this point, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You know, notice Abraham considered his own body, considered uh, the barrenness of Sarah. You know, this wasn't some kind of blind, positive thinking, idle, passive, oh, I really hope things turn out okay kind of faith. This is the final all-out commitment to trust in what God has said he will do. Abraham faced the circumstances, but his faith went beyond the circumstances. To the God for whom nothing is impossible. Okay, what about you? What promises, what things do you feel like God has said over your life or said into your life? If you had a piece of paper right now and you were to write these things down, what would it say? The first question would be, you know, is it impossible? Because if it's not impossible, then it probably isn't from God. It's probably something that you would like to do and, you know, there's nothing really stopping you just doing that today. As uh, Stephen Furtick once said, you know, if it doesn't intimidate you, it probably insults God. In other words, he's asking you, calling you to trust in so much more than just something you could do in your own strength. Does it feel out of your control? Does it feel like it's beyond your ability? Maybe it's a difficult relationship, whether at work or a family member, whether it's someone coming up to you and saying, I think that you could do this, or I see you doing this. Or maybe it's a desire in your heart, I would love to start doing this. Whether it's something you need God's presence in, whether it's something you need provision for, whether it's something you need power and courage for, whether it's something you need protection over or peace in a situation. To you, it seems impossible. How could that ever work out? I can't imagine how that would happen. That's where the promise of God kicks in. That's where it starts to take place. Where, that's where faith activates the blessing that God longs to give you. You know, I'll give you a quick example of me. I've always wanted kids. Um, the, problem, the, sm- the small problem with that is I never wanted to get married. It's kind of a limiting factor in some ways. And it's generally because I was terrible at relationships. And then uh, after five years of me and Tara arguing, we finally realized that we're going to be together. And so we started dating. Another two years of horrible dating. Don't go there. I'll tell you about that as a separate story. Um, We finally got married. And, you know, through the help of everyone else, you know, marriage is going well. We're enjoying it. And then we found out that Tara probably has a medical condition, that we couldn't have kids. 
And, you know, I went out and prayed once and literally cried out to God. I literally cried and came home and told Tara I cried, and she nervously just laughed at me, which was slightly awkward. But I, I knew that there was nothing we could do about it. So I had to trust in God. I had to hand it over to him. And then, lo and behold, we've got this beautiful one-year-old girl called Bella. And more so, in September, we've got number two on the way as well. Talk, talk about abundance. Talk about generosity. Talk about blessing. You know, now our prayer is slightly different. It's housing. We've got, two, we've got three, maybe four people in a one-bedroom flat. It's kind of awkward and slightly cramped. You know, and we've just been cut off the housing register because there are people in worse situations than we are. Can you believe that? So we're praying. We can't see how with our income that we could possibly have a bigger place. But I love what Tara said to me the other day. You know, I, she read the Bible and she said, I can't see anywhere in the Bible where it says people paid, prayed for a three-bedroom house. <laughs> Instead, it says that they prayed for cities. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like many of you, we're facing circumstances head on. But our faith goes beyond the circumstances. There is no plan B. Abraham, when he walked, when he saw that Sarah was barren, when he realized that there was nothing he could do, he fully committed to what God said he would do. There was no plan B. There was no backup. There was no alternative. You know, the problem with plan Bs is they can sometimes, sometimes steal your hunger, your need, your desperation for God. You know, it's like someone coming up to you and saying, you know, I trust you. But the moment they say, but, you know they don't trust you. I trust you, God, that you will do this thing. But just in case, you don't trust God in that situation. God's asking you for full-out commitment. But Richard, you don't understand. Or Pastor Ricci, as one of my Polish friends calls me. My boss is never going to change. There is no way I'll ever speak to my sister again. There is no way that we could ever get that situation. And there's no way I could ever do that thing. I would totally fail. You're absolutely right. I may not understand every situation you go through, although those things I would and I could. But it's okay. You don't need to trust me in this thing. You're trusting in God, a creative God, a God of the impossible, a God that can bring life out of death, a God that can speak success into failure and do more than you could ever ask. The God who longs to bless you and for your sake and for others Someone said that faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. You know, here's a question for you. Why do we act sometimes as if we stumbled into salvation? Like we walked into someone else's party, and if God found out we were there, we might be kicked out. This thing you stumbled into, God brought you into. He went to tremendous lengths to bring you here. This is your party these are your gifts. It's time we started opening them and started enjoying what God has given us. This is making faith in the impossible the only plan, the one that activates the blessings that God has for you. And bring it into a close. For Abraham made no distrust, sorry, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, he, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's confidence grew in God. 
as he went about, still waiting for this, promised to be fulfilled, but everything that happened, every good thing, he attributed it to God. He gave glory to God, testimony to God. It is so important that we give testimony to what God is doing in our lives, to share with other people, to write it down when you get prayed for, to just give glory to God, because it builds our faith in what he is going to do. Abraham didn't believe God because he saw how it was going to work. He believed God because it was so laughable and so impossible. But that's God's speciality. To bring something out of nothing, to bring life out of death. You know, this is why Abraham was able to offer his son when he went to the mountain. You know, this whole story about God asking him to offer his promised son to be sacrificed. And it says in Hebrews 11 that God believed that God, uh, sorry, Abraham believed that God would just raise his son back to life. And that was the conclusion he came to. That's why he was able to do the impossible. Like Abraham offered his own son, what do we need to hand back to God? What promises has, has God given us that we need to bat back into his court? You know, God doesn't give you a promise, doesn't reveal something to you, doesn't give you this impossible idea so you can hold on to it and try and fulfill it in your own strength, or even worse, bury it under a pit of doubt. He gives you it so you can catch a glimpse of what he is going to do, that you can get excited about it, and then you can hand it back to God and say, what are you going to do to fulfill it? What do you need to give back to God? You have to hear this. When Things seem impossible to you. It's only impossible for you because nothing is impossible for God. You know, sometimes I wonder whether we spend too much time imagining. Now, imagining and daydreaming is a great thing. You know, we, but sometimes I wonder if we fill our days, fill our minds, fill our time with what could be if, what would be if this happened, if I won the lottery or if I got that job or if we got that place? You know, sometimes I wonder if we do so much of that that we don't stop and let, listen to what God is actually saying. And this quote that we've been saying throughout this year that I still can't remember off the top of my head, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And maybe it's time we just paused and listened to what God has to say. Let God mess with our minds and tell us what he's actually going to do. And we will smile and we will be polite and we won't believe a single thing of it to start with. But we have a God of the impossible, a God that can bring life out of death. And if God can do that, seriously, if God can bring life out of a dead person, he can do that thing that he wants to do in your life. Could the band come back up, please? You know, for a while, I'll give you an example and we're finished. For a while, we have been um, praying and wanting and desiring a building, more space. You know, kids' space is chock-a-block, feed space is chock-a-block. We need more space. There's no lying and deception about that. And we've been pushing those doors for a long time now. And nothing seems to be opening. So we stopped for a second. We thought, okay, well, God, what are you doing in this place? And you know what God said? I'm bringing people home. I'm making, you know these seats that are beside you? I want to fill them. That's what I want to do. That's why on December the 1st, we're having this big baptism where we're expecting 100 people to be baptized. Because that's what God said he would do. That's impossible for us, we think. But that's what God said he's going to do.
Now, it's not saying we don't want the building across the road, or if you've got 25,000 square foot building in your possession, please let us know. <laughs> but that's what God's doing now. And if we let him, you could be the answer to that. You could be part of that impossibility. You could be part of that plan. We could do that. If we have the faith to believe that God is able and capable, that faith will activate that blessing. Would you guys mind standing? I'll overrun them. Apologies to the kids, parents. What's your thing? What is the thing that you need God to do because there's no way you can do it in your own strength? If you just close your eyes, bow your head. Father, we face these circumstances, but our faith goes beyond these circumstances. And Jesus Christ died for our sins, for the, for the mistakes that we made, for the faultiness that we are, for the breaking of the warranty. He died to pay that price that we owed so we could be forgiven. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He did the impossible. If you can believe that, not only are you forgiven, not only are you set free, not only are you in the hands of the Lord God, the manufacturer, the creator, the wonder of all this world, but you have faith for the impossible. And that thing that's in your mind, that thing that God has spoken, he will do. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.